information. <clears throat> uh, we prayed for Marilyn on, on Sunday and she's back home. And so that's good. I talked with her today and she seemed to be doing well. Um, prayed for Chad on Sunday and he wasn't even limping when he came into the church. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But then just be holding up Ryan uh, Mobley. Uh, he had to um, go over to Omaha and so he's in the hospital over there and uh, got to go through some tests tomorrow morning. And we're just believing that uh, he's going to be coming back home. He's healed. He's a redeemed of the Lord. And we say so in Jesus' name. And so we're just believing for a complete manifestation of his healing. None of this, uh, things looking good, complete healing in Jesus' name. So, anyway, hallelujah. I hope you got two pages and uh, on the notes. And, but uh, the very end of it, uh, like I said, um, you'd have the answers for last week's, and I'm sure everybody just couldn't get home, get wait, wait to get home to start going through it with somebody so that you could answer the questions. And, and so the, the answer's on the back of the sheet, and then of course the lesson this week, there's more questions uh, for that as well. So tonight, <clears throat> um, we're, we're gonna talk about without excuse. And what I mean by that is the world without it is without excuse. We have, um, in, in the natural, I think so often we, comes up, we come up with all kinds of reasons why um, the gospel can't truly be the only way because what about these people? What about that? What about the other thing? Well, what we see in scripture is that man is without excuse, that God out of his mercy uh, he's made it available to every man, woman, and child that they might uh, hear the truth of the gospel and that it might be alive to them from the standpoint that everybody knows they need a savior. They might deny it. They might use all kinds of excuses. They might uh, be distracted. But everybody in his heart of hearts knows that they need a savior. You know, I, I remember several years ago hearing an account of an individual, he was in Africa and, and uh, in a totally pagan nation. And, um, you know, um, but he knew something was missing in his life. And um, so he went up, uh, he was on top of a mountain, and he was just crying out. And um, God revealed himself to him and spoke to him and directed him to a place where he was able to hear the gospel. And uh, the individual was saved and um, became an author and so forth of Christian books. But uh, there's something on the inside of every man, woman, and child that knows that they need a savior. Even when I was in the midst of religion, um, I knew that things weren't right. Uh, and that's because of the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so uh, he is the way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, um, Salvation, we're going to be talking about um, salvation because, you know, like I said, a lot of these things are going through basic things that you've already heard and so forth. But we've got to get them solidified. We've got to get them settled in our heart. If we're going to be able to truly walk in uh, the fullness of what Jesus has made available to us. 
And so salvation is everything uh, that Jesus purchased for us through atonement. It isn't just going to heaven. Uh, it's everything that Jesus purchased for us. And so in Romans, the first chapter in the 16th verse, it says, for I am not ashamed, this is Paul speaking, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also for the Gentiles. And so there's only one message, there's only one means of salvation, and uh, that's, that's through Jesus. And it's, it's powerful. Everybody say it's powerful. You know, I, I think sometimes we look at the gospel and we just, we, we, don't, we don't see it as being a power force, but it's powerful. And, and everything that's involved within that gospel is, is powerful. You know, you've heard me share this many times, but just to reiterate the fact, you know, the word salvation comes from the root word sozo in the Greek. And that, that word sozo, uh, in the Greek means so much more. It's an all-inclusive term. It means so much more than just simply forgiveness of sin. It involves forgiveness of sins, but it also talks about, it includes deliverance, includes healing, includes prosperity, uh, everything that we need in life. And of course, just as I shared on, I guess it was Monday night, so it wasn't here on Sunday, but uh, the word prosperity, when we see the Bible talking about prosperity for us, it involves so much more than we identify prosperity as. We look at prosperity and we think of money. We think of material things. But Bible prosperity involves so much more than that. And uh, in fact, again, you've heard me say this. Kenneth Copeland said one time that financial prosperity is the lowest form of prosperity that you'll ever find. Because there are so many other things that uh, define prosperity so much better. In, in Joshua 1.8, it talks about how God wants to give us good success. He doesn't want us to just simply be successful. He says that if we'll meditate on the word day and night, if we'll give attention to his word, if we'll keep it in our mouth, um, it'll produce good success. Not just simply success, but good success. And when we're talking about good success, we're talking about every area of our life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, um, socially, uh, relationally, every area of our life, God wants us to be successful. And we find that success as we focus upon Him and recognize that salvation, sozo, has been poured out, provided for each and every one of us. And so that's why the Word of God is so important. That's why we've got to continually go over the Word of God in our life because fresh revelation will come to us and we'll see things that we've, we've, never, we've never seen before. You know, I, I think it was um, Lester Summerall, I heard him speaking one time and he was talking about um, faith. And he was talking about how faith is, is like a diamond <clears throat> and how a diamond is multifaceted. And every time you, 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 you can talk about a diamond, but you can take one diamond every time you turn it, you see another facet of that diamond, something that you've never seen before. And that's how faith is. Every time we approach the Word of God, you know, it says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. It doesn't say that faith comes by having heard. Faith comes by hearing. 
And so every time we hear the word of God, we see a facet of God that we've never seen before. That's why as a Christian, our life as a Christian is never to be boring because we will never reach the pinnacle. We'll never know it all. There will always be more for us to, to hear, to understand, to walk in. The most dangerous place, and like I said on Sunday, the most dangerous place we can ever be in our spiritual walk is to think that we've arrived. Because the moment that we think we arrive, we cease to be teachable. And the moment that we cease to be teachable, we begin to regress. You know, there isn't anything stagnant in the kingdom of God. We're either moving forward or we're moving backwards, but you're not sitting still. You're either using and depleting what you already have in your life or you're gaining and you're growing and, and accessing more. And so that's why hearing the word of God on a continual basis is so very, very important to each and every one of us. And so in James, the fifth chapter, James, the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at the 14th and 15th verse. And it says uh, in the 14th verse, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save Sozo. And the prayer of faith will, Sozo will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he uh, has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So I want you to notice something. In the same context that he's talking about the forgiveness of sin, he's talking about healing of the sick, walking free from sickness and disease. And see, we, we categorize things. You know, we, we understand the forgiveness of sins because without the forgiveness of sins, we, we're not saved. But we, what we've got to realize that in the same sense that we, we believe that God has unconditionally forgiven all of our sins, we need to in the same sense believe that God has unconditionally healed us of sickness and disease because, because they're both by the grace of God. It isn't because of my effort. It isn't because I prayed right that I'm healed. It's because of the grace of God. It isn't because I prayed right and did everything right, that prosperity is available to me. It's available to me because of the grace of God. Now, because of the grace of God in my life, I do some different, I do things differently than I once did. Because of the grace of God, and we'll talk about this, if not tonight, in one of the nights ahead of us. Because of the grace of God in our life, we don't continue to sin. Now, our salvation and our forgiveness isn't, isn't contingent upon our actions. But because of what Jesus has done for us, we change our actions. And you see, that's the same thing with prosperity, the same thing with healing, same thing with deliverance, all of those areas. When we get a hold of the grace of God and realize what Jesus has truly done for us, that's what changes us. It isn't our self-effort. We've all tried that. Amen. We've all tried to do it on our, strength, in our own strength and ability, and all that we've proven is we can't do it. All we've done is proven that God is right. I need, I must have God's grace in my life. And so the, what I wanted you to see in this verse is how <clears throat> he's talking about if somebody's sick among you, 
that you're to pray for them, and you're to pray the prayer of faith, and that that prayer of faith will save them. And then later on he talks about the forgiveness of sins. And so it's used in the same context because salvation, like I said, is a package deal that's all inclusive. You don't have to just take part of it. You know, I don't know about you, when I buy a different car, I want all four wheels. You know, I don't want one that's got two wheels or one wheel. I want all four wheels on that vehicle. And, you know, because I'm not talking about a motorcycle or a trike or anything like that. I'm talking about a car. I want four wheels that operate and function the way that they're supposed to operate and function. The ones that are to have brakes, I want them to have brakes. The ones that have the drive, I want them to drive. If it's all of them, I want it to be all of them. Well, why do we do that in the kingdom of God? God has provided an all-inclusive vehicle by which to bring wholeness into our lives, but oftentimes we settle for one wheel, forgiveness of sins. Well, well, Pastor Dave, you know, if all there was was the forgiveness of sin, it would be worth it. Well, you're right. But why settle for that when there's so much more? That's like somebody providing you with hamburger when steak is available. Now, I like a good hamburger once in a while. But I'll tell you something, nothing beats a steak. If we have any vegetarians in the crowd, woe is you. You know, but we ought to want what God has for each and every one of us. Amen. And so when Scripture says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, it's not just talking about being born again and having our sins forgiven. It's talking about so much more. It also means that the gospel, the grace of God, is the power of God to heal, is the power of God to deliver, is the power of God to uh, for prosperity is the power of God for everything that comes as a result of being born again. But you know, if we don't know it's available to us, we'll never be able to take advantage of it. You know, the Bible says in Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they don't know what's available to them. We need to know what's available to us. And the only way that we can know that is, is through the Word of God. You know, <clears throat> manuals are so important. But I hate reading manuals. I just, I just like to wing it. I just think I know it good enough without reading the manual. And so a few weeks ago, we were over at Calstrips for Lauren's birthday, and they, they didn't have, I don't know if it was ice cream or something, and so Brian had to run up to Casey's. And, and of course, my car was in the way, and so he says, can I, can I take your car? And he says, yeah, here's the keys, and he took it and went up to Casey's and comes back. And now, we've had that car for a little over a year now. This is the second winter that we've gone through. And uh, so Brian gets back and he says, 
You've just got to love that automatic starter, don't you? And I says, well, what are you talking about? And he says, well, you see that button on the keychain? I says, yeah. He says, you push that and it starts your car. You know, what was, you know what was really funny about it? We were at a basketball game like the Friday before, and we're walking to our car, and all of a sudden the truck next to our car started up, and this guy's getting into it, and I, I said, boy, nothing like roughing it. And he says, yeah, the best thing I love about this truck. You know, because he started from inside and walked out and got into it. I could have done the same thing, but I didn't read the manual. I didn't know what was available to me. Here I have this, this car and all of these attributes within the car, but I'm not taking advantage of it because I didn't know what was available to me. Well, Pastor, you're really stupid. Yeah, I know, it's really stupid. But you know what? It's just as stupid to know that your sins are forgiven and walk around sick. Well, now you done started meddling a little bit. Well, that's because you didn't read the manual. So we need to read the manual. We need to know what Jesus has provided for us because he's provided so much for us. And, 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 and what happens is, and th see, this is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is relationship. And so the more that we see what Jesus has done for us, the deeper our relationship grows with him. You know, it's wonderful to know that my sins are forgiven. But when I realize that it's his will for me to be healthy and whole, it's his will for me to prosper, it's his will that that sin that so easily besets me no longer has any control and dominance over my life. You know, it isn't just about me getting free, it's about developing and strengthening the relationship that I would have with him. And what happens is we begin to have confidence in God that there is absolutely nothing that's impossible to him. Because you know what? Nothing's impossible to him. You know, the only thing that hinders God is us. We're the ones that hinder him. He, he, he wants to withhold no good thing from us. But it's like I told the guys Monday night, you know, God isn't moved by need. He's moved by faith. And the only way that faith can operate is through a knowledge of what God has made available to us. And that's what the grace is. That's what grace is. It's what God has already done, what he's already accomplished for each and every one of us. Satan tries, us, tries to get us to earn, listen to me, Satan tries to get us to earn the things that Jesus has already provided for us. Because we get our attention then off of him, we get our attention upon us. We begin to think there's something that I, that I need to do. You know, <clears throat> if you're reading through the Bible in the same way that I'm reading through the Bible, um, you'd be in Matthew right now, and today you would have read the account of the rich young ruler and how he came to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And he said, keep the commandments. And he says, which ones? And he says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all these things I have done for my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, go sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, come and follow me. 
And so a lot of circles, what they'll, they'll teach now is that, you see, <clears throat> you're not supposed to have anything. You're, ta- you're to take a vow of poverty. You're to sell everything that you have and you're, li- you're just barely supposed to get by. No, what Jesus was doing was locating him because he was convinced that what he had done was enough to be saved. Let me tell you something. You listen to some believers today and you would think, according to what they're saying, their salvation was purchased by their actions. None of our actions can purchase our salvation. It's all dependent upon Jesus. What Jesus was doing was locating where that individual was. What's the purpose of the law? The law locates us. It lets us know what we're trusting in and it reminds us that we can't do it in our own strength. I've been saved for 45 years. I still can't keep the law. Well, pastor, you ought to have grown more than that. But the Bible says if you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep every jot and tittle of it. In other words, you've got to keep it all. If you're guilty in one point, you're guilty in all of it. If you gossip, you're a murderer. You're an adulterer. If you... You know, I, mean, I don't lie, but, you know, little white lies. Helen Firestorm, Brimstone, you know, because you, you, you've, you've failed. And all of us have failed, you know, continuously in one way or another. And so what it does is it reveals to us our need for a Savior. And so what Jesus was doing to the rich young ruler, he was showing him how he can't do it in his own strength and his own ability, how he needed a Savior. We need a Savior. Amen. But what the enemy wants to do, and see, that's what will keep us from getting healed. You know, I can't tell you how many times people who have come forward for healing or whatever it may be, they're, they're wondering what it is that they've done wrong. You know, and I think oftentimes it's not that we've done something wrong, it's that we're doing something right and the enemy has given us his best, best shot. You know, because it's not God that brings sickness or disease into our life. We have an adversary who is known as the devil, and he's out to do, he's, he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. He ultimately wants to kill us, but what he wants to do is raise havoc and destruction until he gets the job done. And so we need to recognize that. And so what, what he wants us to do is to think, I've got to do something to earn or deserve these blessings of God that Jesus has already provided for us. And so what we need to do is begin to recognize what Jesus has done and begin to have a a heart of thanksgiving and we, we thank him. Satan tries to get us to earn the things God, uh, things of God, to make ourselves our saviors. Because, see, if I've got to do it, then it's dependent upon me. It's not upon Jesus. To put our faith in what we've done instead of faith in Christ as our only means of receiving from God. He's the only way. He is the way. That's the only means by which we have to receive the abundance that he's made available to us. Instead of right I'm coming right out and telling people that God doesn't heal, prosper, deliver today. Satan deceives them into thinking that they must do something in order to earn God's provision. 
We don't do anything to earn God's provision because it's already been provided. It's a gift. Now the thing is, is there are principles that we apply in our life. But those principles are applied by faith as we know what God has already provided for us. If we practice those principles thinking that those principles are going to move God, we're deceived. You know, <clears throat> there, there was a period of time where we're fasting, you know, and I, I believe in fasting. I just obviously don't practice it a whole lot. You know, but, <clears throat> you know, I, I like, you know, I heard somebody on the radio, you know, that if we would just fast a certain amount of time, actually it was on TV, a certain amount of time every day, you know, that uh, we would lose weight. And so I, I've decided to do that. So I fast from 10 o'clock at night till 8 in the morning. <laughs> Hasn't been working out too well yet, but I'm believing that it's going to bear, bear much fruit. Donna didn't think that was funny. <laughs> I thought it was great. <laughs> but anyway, what was I talking about before I got off target? But see, you know, he wants us to think that there's something that we've got to do in order to earn it. Again, oh, I was talking about fasting. There was a period of time where fasting was uh, really emphasized. But the interesting thing about it was it was emphasized from the standpoint that you, 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 you spend a day in prayer and fasting to move God. God doesn't move. God's already where he's supposed to be. What prayer and fasting is supposed to do is, it's not to change God, it's to change me. It's not to line God up with me, it's to line me up with God. And so that's what happens with, with these principles many times. They're, they're correct principles, but our application of them are backwards. Because we think that the, the practice of the application is going to change God, but truly they're given so that it changes me changes my attitude, changes what I trust in, changes what, what I'm turning to. Uh, we, we need to be in that place where we put our trust and our confidence completely in Him. Let's go back to the book of Romans. Romans, the second chapter. Remember what we're talking about tonight. We're without excuse. And so let's start in Romans, the second chapter in the fourth verse, where it talks about um, how um, God's good. Romans 2, 4. Or, <clears throat> or do you despise the riches of his goodness? You know how he despised God? By saying what he's done isn't enough. By saying we can do better or we can do more. He says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God's leads you to repentance? Do you know what led me to Jesus? We started going to this Bible say, like I said, I'd gone to church my entire life. But I started going to this Bible study and these people, 
acted like they knew God. They were happy. There was, there was, there was something alive about them. And, and when we'd get together, they would talk about their relationship with Christ and how wonderful it was. And you know what it did? It, it, it created a desire in me that I, whatever it was that they had, because I wasn't sure what they had, but I wanted what they had. In fact, it was more than wanting it, I needed it. And so, let's never forget that it's, that it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. <clears throat> you know, to tell a sinner that he's going to hell isn't informing him on anything. He already knows it. He may not acknowledge it, but he knows it to one degree or another. But let me tell you what he doesn't know. He doesn't know that God is good, that God loves him unconditionally. You know, uh, again, most of you have probably heard this account, but when I was in Bible school, one evening we had some special speakers, and uh, uh, one had been a lesbian, the other one had been a homosexual, and the other one uh, was a reformed um, transsexual. Uh, that isn't right term. What, what is it when you go through the surgery? Well, it'll work. Uh, and, and then there was another guy that, who uh, uh, had, had ministered to these folk. And uh, I don't know if you remember, some of you are too young, but I don't know if you remember the Buster Brown uh, shoe commercials? Well, the boy in that commercial was the guy that had gone through the surgery. And he had received Christ Jesus after the fact, but he is living as a man now because he knew that that's how God had created him to be. The man that had been the homosexual, he was engaged to be married to a woman. You know, the lesbian had been set free. And what was interesting, the guy that had ministered to him was a guy from, he is a farmer, and I can't remember if he was from Wisconsin or from Iowa, one of the two. Anyway, he had gone down to Christ for the nation because they were all from the Dallas area. And he had gone down to Christ for the nation and was going through the school there. And while he was going to school there, he started this outreach to the, to the gay community. And, uh, and he, he said, you know, he, he just went in there and he began to share the love of God and, you know, was, was very effective. And, and I looked at it and I thought, you know, God is so interesting because, no offense farmers, but he did not look like somebody that would minister to the gay community. There was nothing, I mean, he, he looked like he'd come right out of the field, but yet he is extremely effective. And so they asked the one guy that had been the homosexual, they said, so what was it that won you over? And he said, for years we'd go into the gay bars and these Christians would come in there with their Bibles and they'd thump them, they'd say, you're going to hell. He says, you know what, they weren't telling me anything new. I already knew that. But he said, one day this guy came in and he looked at us and he says, you know, I want you to know something. God doesn't approve of your lifestyle, but he loves you. He loves you unconditional, unconditionally. And he said, it was to know the goodness 
of God, that he loved me, that brought about a change in my life. You know, <clears throat> condemning people in sin will never change them. If anything, it'll, it'll harden them. It'll solidify what they already believe about themselves. But when people hear that God loves them unconditionally, because each and every one of us in this room, if, we can, if we're able to really look back at those moments, we would recognize the thing that really won us over to Jesus was the fact that we began to see how good God was. I mean, even growing up in the religious community that I grew up in, you know, <clears throat> we had a fear of God, but it wasn't a, an awe of God, it was terror. That if you screwed up, God is gonna hammer you a good one, and you're gonna end up in hell. You know, it, it motivates you for a while, but it doesn't last. Well, it's an interesting thing about love. Love lasts. Love endures. But you know, the other, it doesn't. It'll, it'll, it'll work for a while, but it'll only work for a while. And so, the gospel, this is what I want us to see tonight, is the gospel is powerful. It's powerful in every area of our lives, but we need to realize that the gospel is powerful. We have this idea oftentimes that we need to, we need to add something to it to really make it effective. We've got to add some. No, 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 we, we, we don't. You know, that's why holidays, I always, I always wrestle with holidays and preaching. You know, because I think of Christmas and I think of Easter, which are, at least ought to be, two of our favorite holidays. And, you know, for me, it's hard to preach on those holidays because how do you add to what the Bible has already told us about Jesus' birth, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. How do we add to that? Because anything that I can possibly add to that takes from that. And oftentimes, that's exactly what we do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think we're adding to it, but in reality, what we're really doing is we're taking from it because we're watering it down or we're adding something to it which is contrary to what the gospel truly is. We need to see the gospel for what it, what it really is. Let's drop down to the 18th verse, still in um, Romans the first, well, let's go back to Romans the first chapter and go to the 18th and 19th verse, and it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of righteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. <clears throat> in other words, what it's saying is people that don't know God, they have an understanding of the wrath of God. They understand that judgment is coming down. And the reason why oftentimes people are so... Um, sensitive and so offended by the gospel is because when we speak it, it confirms what they already know. You know, we've had people come to church and, and uh, they'll sit through the service and, and they'll leave and they'll, I mean, I was nice to them, but they'll just hate me and they'll hate this church. 
You know, one individual uh, came as a teenager and every um, beer party that he'd go to, he'd take the cans and he'd, he'd pile them up and then he'd run through it and kick it down and say, that's a bundle life church and I'm destroying it and I'm tearing it down. And, uh, but I believe it was just the conviction of God in his life. Because years later, he was in this service, he'd got saved some other place, but he came on a Sunday morning and he came forward and asked me to forgive him. And, you know, I mean, I didn't know that he had been, actually I did know that he'd been doing this stuff, but, you know, at least it gets our name out there. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and that morning he got the baptize, baptized in the Holy Ghost and praying in tongues. And, a while back, he introduced me to his, his daughter, and he introduced me as his godfather, you know, because that was what introduced him to the truth of the gospel. And so, you know, when, when, if you bring somebody to church and they get tucked off, don't worry about it. It's a conviction of God upon their life. And hopefully, you know, that seed has been planted and somebody else is going to come along and water it. And someday they'll come up to you and you say, they'll say, you remember that time you took me to church with you? You made me so mad. I just wanted to punch you out. But I'm so thankful you did because it was the beginning of what brought about a change in my life. And, and it's because they already know. And that's why we don't, we're not giving anybody any revelation when we tell them that they're going to hell. They already know that. But they needed some good news. They need to hear that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, some, I, I look back on some of those songs that were so simple, but they're so profound because they were birthed out of true revelation. And that's what we need in our lives is we need the revelation